Well, welcome again. So good to see you here at the Neighborhood Church. I'm so glad that you have joined us this evening in person or online. I missed you last week. I was doing a wedding. And like many of the weddings I do these days, it was like an hour away in some cool barn. Uh, so I wasn't able to be here. But it was a time of joy, and joy is our focus this evening. So I want to remind you that the word Advent is really just a fancy word that means arrival. The advent of Jesus or the advent of the iPhone, right? The arrival of something big. And so when it comes to the church year, Advent is actually the church's new year. It begins telling the story of Jesus by going back in time before Jesus, to those generations of God's people, Israel, waiting, waiting, waiting for the arrival of their king, their Messiah, which is anointed one, or in Greek is translated as, what do you think? Christ. So we go back in time to await the first advent of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. But now in 2023... We not only look back, we look ahead ourselves because we're waiting for Jesus' second advent. We're waiting for Jesus to return and make all things new. And so we put ourselves in that position that both looks back to his first advent and we're also looking forward to his second advent. That's the season. It trains us to wait. It trains us to look at hope at peace, and even joy in the midst of the waiting and the darkness. And so we enter into the lives of people who are waiting, that are from a nation that's been waiting. And so week one, we met an old couple at the beginning of Luke's gospel that didn't have children, and they desperately wanted kids. We met a priest named Zechariah, who was in the center of the center of God's presence, and yet he was still surprised when God showed up. And so an angel comes and says, hey, your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a son, and that son's name is going to be John. And John is an Advent figure that's going to point ahead to the one to come. And so last week, that same angel visited Mary. Now, Mary was a young girl that was on the outside of the outside. So we move from the inner circle of the temple and we move to the next section of Luke's gospel to some out-of-the-way place with some out-of-the-way young girl. But an angel shows up and says, greetings, you're highly favored. God loves you and wants you to bear his son, whose name will be God with us, what we just sang. And so tonight, we see those two expecting mothers the wife of the priest named Elizabeth, and then Mary, who is expecting Jesus. We see those two expecting moms meeting one another and responding with joy. Joy is one of those words that I think you all know about intuitively. Joy is a little bit what I was feeling when I got to play bass for the first time in this space with Jeremiah on those first two fast Christmas songs. I was really feeling myself over here. Joy is what I felt when Nora, just a couple hours ago, with 20 seconds left in her basketball game, stole the ball, went all the way down with a breakaway layup to bring their team within two points. And then her friend 
with three seconds left, gets the ball, and they score, and they end up winning the game. That's a little bit of joy right there. Man. We intuitively know that joy is something that just kind of erupts out of us. It's a response. I think you also intuitively know that joy is deeper than happiness. So we're going to explore joy as a response. We're going to explore joy as something deeper within the context of these two mothers-to-be responding to God's surprising goodness in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. It'll be on the screens. Let's look at it together. At that time, which is to say right after Mary got that news, she got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. She was in Nazareth, and it was going to take her about three days to make it all the way there, just outside of Jerusalem. Verse 40, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, who was her relative. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, what, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. She continues, but why am I so blessed? Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, that baby in my womb leaped for what? Joy. Blessed, again, is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. I want to tell you a story about joy. Way before TikTok, Pinterest, or promposals. Has anybody heard of a promposal? Teachers in the room know what's up with a promposal. Kelly, have you borne witness to a promposal? Not yet, because it's not prom. A promposal is when these high school kids get down on one knee and say, Will you go to prom with me? So it's become this huge thing, and they get more and more elaborate. And then you've got Instagram and Pinterest making all these elaborate shows of a proposal. Well, before any of that, I was an OG, silly, romantic, making a big deal of a proposal when I proposed to Amy. I enlisted Kristen Payne's help. I don't know if she's here with the She's right there. I enlisted Kristen Payne's help because she had a key to Amy's apartment. So I need you to help get me in there on a Saturday when she is at work. Amy worked at Children's Medical Center in Dallas. And so I told Amy, hey, when you get off work, why don't you head straight to your apartment and change because we're going to have dinner plans that night. We're going to have dinner plans and we're going to meet Kristen and Jaron. So I'll talk to you after work. Playing it so smooth, so cool. She never knew what was coming. So meanwhile, Kristen helps me to get into the apartment. She helps me lay down all of these pictures that form a pathway, a chronological story of our relationship, if you will, that were guided along by candles and rose petals. And the idea that was so cheesy in retrospect is that she would actually like just pause and go, oh, oh, and recognize the journey thus far. And so the pathway ended at an envelope that says to Amy. And so she was to open this and read a cheesy love letter that ended by saying, okay, meet me downstairs by that tree. All of this was my grand plan. And I would be waiting for her on bended knee 
everything was set when Amy called at the end of that day. And it was one of those when you answer the phone and they just off to the races. I had the worst day. You would not believe this. Everything that went wrong, I mean, everything that could have gone wrong, it went wrong. It was a disaster. And remember, she works at a hospital. So she said, I hit the trifecta. I said, what do you mean? She goes, I got bled on. A kid ripped out his catheter and sprayed me with pee. And just to add it to the mix, I also got poop all over me. And I said, great, so you're coming back, right? And she goes, matter of fact, cancel the plans. I just can't think of anything I'd rather do than take a shower and just go straight to bed, see you tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, great, great plan. And so then we hang up the phone. I'm panicked. What's going on? Is she even going to make it? Well, she comes to the apartment. She made it back, and I was down by that tree, spying up, and I see her in her second floor apartment, and then that's when I come to realize that she sees the pictures, she sees the cheesy pathway, she gets the cheesy envelope, and then she gets the invitation, and then all of a sudden, when I saw her, everything had changed. And so I was waiting there on bended knee, and I probably said something even cheesier. But now that I look back, what I remember less is the bad day. And what I remember more is the look on her face when she said yes. And then just to cap it all off, we still had dinner plans, but it wasn't just with Kristen and Jaron. It was with my cousin and my other cousin and my brother and our parents. And we had a whole family waiting. So then I remember her face when she realized it wasn't just those two. It was them two plus all these other. And we were celebrating and rejoicing because joy is a response. And joy is also something that can change a bad day and all of that negativity. It can completely reverse it. It's not something I don't think we can fake. I don't think you can say, well, tonight, let me give you seven steps to increase joy in your life. Just sit down and smile and say, I'm joyful, joy, joy, down in my soul. I don't think it's something you can fake. I don't think that it's something that you can just make up and say, this terrible thing, I can consider it joy. That's what James says. And we say, well, James, we don't get it. Well, that's because James is telling us, well, you can't just drum it up. What it takes is a change in perspective. And sometimes we respond in joy because we knew just how bad it was. So that when something happens that surprises us and shakes us out of that darkness, the only way we can respond is to say, oh, There is something good in the world. There is joy to be had. And I know that this is good and worth celebrating because I also knew how bad my day was before. And I knew how long I had to wait for that proposal. I knew how long I had to wait for that diagnosis to be reversed. I knew how long I had to wait for that bit of good news. Sometimes isn't joy felt so much deeper Because we've experienced a deep darkness. I think the deep darkness makes the things that go so well that much sweeter. 
And that's why I think we see this response from a woman who was childless and desperate or from a young girl that was fearful and unsure about the future. They're able to respond with joy because they knew how long they had waited and they knew how afraid they thought they'd be. But God reverses their bad days and the only response is joy. And so the first thing I want you to understand is that joy is a response to a dream realized. I think that's why the Rangers winning the World Series was such a dadgum big deal. And it's the reason why at Emma's Middle School, they still are having wear your Texas Rangers swag day because they didn't get to wear the Rangers stuff for 50 years. Joy is a response to a dream realized. Elizabeth had a dream of a child. And in Luke 1.14, the angel Gabriel promised that this child would, number one, be a joy to you. And number two, that many will rejoice because of his birth. And so now Elizabeth, with this surprise visit from her relative Mary, she's starting to put the pieces together and say, oh, Gabriel was right. He is a joy because I knew the years of longing and waiting and unanswered prayers for no kid. Now I get that joy is a response to this dream realized. And then she starts to put the pieces together and say, many will rejoice because of his birth. When Mary visits and John leaps for joy, she starts to get this sense of, oh, it's even bigger than me. Oh, this is something going on that is not just for me, it is for my whole community. And then in Luke 1.15, the angel Gabriel promises even more. And he says that this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he was. As Mary greeted Elizabeth, you remember, John leaped. John is an Advent figure. John is the figure that stands on this hinge of history after hundreds of years of silence, after hundreds of years of no prophets, no prophecy, no Bible books. All of a sudden, John stands on this hinge of history, and he's the figure that's going to be the clear call to say, okay, the wait is over. The dream is nearly realized. He's the one that says, this is the one we've been waiting for. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And y'all, this dude was doing it prenatally. Before he was even born, he was pointing to Jesus. He leaped in her womb as if to signal to a fearful girl who was wondering how this would come to pass. It was as if John gave Mary a gift to say, no, your dreams are coming true also. Why did Mary make that visit? The angel didn't tell her to go. A young girl in her teens would not have made a three-day journey without some great bit of distress and fear. Why would she do that? The truth is we don't know. The truth is the Bible doesn't tell us. But I just wonder if for three days she was still pondering those words. If the song that she erupted in joy that Toby talked about last week was still echoing in her head. I just wonder if in a quiet moment she thought, but will this really happen? Can I really trust 
Because joy is elusive. And the world's default setting trains us to believe that joy is a limited resource. And that 24-7, you're conditioned to not experience or expect joy. In fact, you're expected to experience the opposite. Amy called me from that hospital because that was more normal. That was the rule, not the exception. Joy is the exception. So I just wonder that, you know, when we respond to that dream realized, sometimes it filters away because the world reminds us, yeah, that was just a sweet one off. But not so when Mary arrived at Elizabeth's house and that baby leaped and Elizabeth responded and just knew already because she was filled with the Holy Spirit too. I just wonder if that trip needed to be made because Mary needed to be reminded that joy is possible and that joy is promised even for those who wait and even for those who've known fear and uncertainty. The second big idea I want you to understand is that joy is the recognition and the response to the presence of heaven on earth. You can't miss the Holy Spirit surrounding and saturating this visit. Look back at verse 41 that we read a moment ago. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just the baby, it was Elizabeth. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then look, she shouts a blessing. If you still have the Bible open on your app or on your lap, would you look at how many blesseds pour out of her when she recognizes the presence of the Spirit and she responds in praise? Listen to how many blesseds. Ready? Blessed are you. Blessed is this child. Blessed am I. Blessed is she. Reiterating Mary again. Blessed are you among women. God chose you. Blessed is this child who will surely be God's anointed king. Blessed am I to be here with the mother of my Lord. And fourth, remember, blessed is she, why? Who believed that God actually really keeps his promises. This is the first beatitude in Luke. We did a whole series on the beatitudes that Jesus preaches in Matthew chapter 5. You remember those? Blessed are the poor, Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, all of these things. Sometimes we hear a beatitude and we think, oh, I just got to be poor. Oh, I know if I want to be blessed, I just got to mourn. Oh, I know if I want to be blessed, I have to be meek. No, 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 listen, listen. The beatitudes are less about activity. If you mourn, you'll be blessed. No, 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 stop, wrong. It's less about activity, listen, and it's more about geography. What Jesus does in the Beatitudes is he says, hey, you who are poor in spirit, you who mourn, you who are meek, you who are peacemakers, you who are at the bottom tier of the world's order of who is well off, surprise, you are actually the ones that are within the reach of God's kingdom blessing. It's less about activity and it's more about geography. 
Blessed are you when you mourn. You are not forgotten. You are firmly within the reach of God's goodness and love. The first beatitude in Luke is a recognition of God's geography. Mary, you were afraid. You pondered how this could be. You wondered how God would do it. Mary, stop. You're blessed. You are smack dab within God's reach. And some of you tonight just need to hear again that when your journey like Mary's for three days or 30 years is one of darkness and you think joy is elusive and joy is gone, some of you need to hear a word from the Holy Spirit that says, stop, you are blessed You are not too far. You have not gone too far away. You have not turned your back too many times. The only step you need to take is one that looks a loving God in the face and says, you are my beloved child who I love. You are firmly within reach of my saving embrace. You are squarely smack dab within the reach of my goodness, love, and blessing. Joy is not only possible, it is promised. Blessed are you. Blessed is this child. Blessed am I to be in the presence because heaven is peaking its way through to earth. They recognize that God's really at work in their everyday life. They recognize that God is actually at work within us, literally, these expectant mothers, right? So joy is the response to God's presence in their midst. How many times in our church have we said, be detectives of divinity? So often, especially in this season, because you know you got to go to Target and Walmart tomorrow, whatever, that you just keep going 80 miles an hour. Well, how much can you read and see as your car is zipping down at 80 miles an hour? How much can you stop and look around you and actually recognize when you're going 80? Not much. Advent trains us to wait to slow down, and to be a detective of divinity, to say, oh, wait, that was a fingerprint of God. Oh, that was a moment that God was in our midst. Don't miss it. Don't rush past it. Cultivate a sense of waiting. Cultivate a sense of awareness. Because you have no other life to live except the life that goes to Walmart, well, I just wish I had a more spiritual life. Maybe I just need to go to church. No, no, no. The only life you have to live is the life that you wake up and live moment by moment, breath by breath. So many times people come to me because I'm a pastor and they're like, well, I know my spiritual life. Just said, no, no, no. There's no such thing as a spiritual life. You have a life. The difference is whether or not you are awake and aware that God is actually living it alongside you. That's the difference. That's what makes it spiritual, is because you're aware of the Spirit's presence breaking in on earth as it is in heaven. She took a moment to recognize, and then the response was joy. So take a moment and just close your eyes with me. I want to do just a quick little thought experiment. Think about your own experiences. Think about your own everyday lifeness. And I want to ask you three questions. Can you remember a time when you really laughed? Like when was the last time that you were like just around the table? Maybe who were you with? Where were you? Think of a time when you were like 
gut-busting, belly-laughing, crying, better make sure, you know, you don't have an accident kind of laugh. Can you, can you think of one? Raise your hand if you can think of a time, like the last time I was really going for it. Anybody surprised that Becky Mamie and Becky Knight are like, yep, I can, as they laugh and snort right now in front of us? Okay, second question. Close your eyes if it helps. Think of a time that you were really celebrating. That, that kind of moment where, like, after that phone call or after that, like, bit of news that, like, something just welled up out of you and you were like, yes. What were you celebrating? Where were you? Were you with anybody? Raise your hand if you can think of a time just welled up, celebrated. Last one. Can you remember a time when you cried tears of joy? When was the last time that you maybe were with someone and you said, I don't know why I'm crying? That's usually a sign of tears of joy. What caused those to well up? Where were you? Who are you with? Now, for those of you that think that joy is a limited resource, now, for those of you that the ship has sailed for joy in your life, let me just say that those experiences are gifts of God that are earthly appetizers to the banquet of heaven. Every time that you pause and recognize that in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of a dark and broken world, anytime you can laugh and celebrate and be moved with the stuff of life, understand that the veil of heaven has become thin and God's light and life is shining through. Don't move too far past it. Stay and like the psalm says, Selah, sit pause and recognize those little everyday miracles for what they are, gifts, because this world needs more joy. And so I want you to understand that those glimpses remind you that joy is possible and that joy is promised. Do you remember the verse of scripture that says, though the sorrow may last for the night, what comes in the morning? joy. And so if you're sorrowful and if you're mourning, take heart. Experience that. Feel that. But try, dare to do what Advent invites us to and say, no, there's a light that's coming. Darkness doesn't get the last word. We light a candle every week to remind us that we are still waiting for the one to finish what he started and that he will come and renew all things, and he will wipe every tear away. 
and we will see those who've gone before us, and we will see the restoration and renewal that he promised. If he was good enough to promise Elizabeth a child and Mary a child, and that even though they were oppressed and they still walked through uncertainty and violence, his way still went forward, would you trust that the kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And any glimpse of that in the moment is just a gift that reminds us to keep walking toward the light. So John points. Elizabeth recognizes and responds. 30 weeks before Bethlehem. 30 years before Jesus appears publicly declaring the good news that Leilani read earlier. And listen. They had a lot more waiting and a lot more hardship in between. Don't forget the Christmas story that gets omitted so often. That Herod the Great, their own Jewish king, decided to slaughter every newborn son. Don't forget that Rome's oppressive empire still looms over every page of the gospel of Jesus' story. Understand that this joy was experienced, listen, precisely in the midst of a bad day. That's why the Bible in Pixar has taught me that joy and sadness can coexist. Here they are. How many of you have seen Inside Out, Disney's Inside Out? If you're not raising your hand, now you know what you got to watch tonight. It is powerful. That's joy there in the green dress, voiced by Amy Poehler. And that's sadness. And she is voiced by Phyllis from The Office, who was just so perfect in that role. They represent two of the five personified emotions that are living in an 11-year-old girl named Riley's head. So the whole movie, most of the movie, takes place within her head as she's navigating the pain and the sadness of a cross-country move with her family. And so you get the sense pretty early on that Joy is kind of running the show. She's unofficially the one that kind of takes charge, tells the others what's up. And listen, Joy spends a lot of the movie trying to sideline sadness, right? The sidewalk chalk circle. How many of you remember that? So, so sadness is kind of moping around, and they have these thoughts that are like these orbs. And so sadness starts trying to touch these orbs, and they start to turn blue. And so it's making Riley on the outside even more sad. So what Joy does, what Emma was saying, is she says, okay, here's sadness, and she draws a sidewalk chalk in her mind's control room and says, why don't you stand right in there and stop touching those memories? She's trying to sideline sadness, trying to keep her from making Riley feel sad. But the Bible and Pixar encourage us not to sideline sadness. Do you know that there's a book of the Bible called Lamentations? How about this? The book of Psalms, 150 of them. It's the prayer book of God's people, songs and prayers that cover the whole range of the human experience. You want to guess how many of them are lament psalms? 
over one-third. There's five emotions in Riley's head. There could be more. But let's just say a third of the emotions in the Psalms, 33%, are sad. So not only in the Bible is sadness not sidelined, sadness gets more than its fair shake. Sadness is meant to be felt. Sadness needs to be given expression. The Bible and Pixar encourage us to keep sadness in its proper place among the rest of our experience. But we can come to terms with its validity and necessity, listen, because sadness in the movie and in our life can do at least two things. Sadness leads us to get the help we need. Joy comes to realize this when she sees one of those orbs of memories. And she rewinds and she sees that before the joy, where Riley was celebrating with her hockey team, she was alone and crying because her team lost. But that's when her parents found her because she was sad. And that sadness gave opportunity for them to be moved to action. And only did joy come in the morning because she had a moment to experience sorrow. So the first thing we see is that sadness leads us to get the help we need. But like the parents in that illustration, sadness also leads us toward empathy and compassion to help others. I think the reason the Bible repeatedly gives space for sadness is because it's trying to train us as God's family to say, I'm going to mourn with those who mourn, like Paul says in Romans 12, 15. Because I'm going to do what God does, and I'm going to come alongside you and sit with you in it. How many of you have had this experience, even with all the loss and the pain that our church has experienced in the last month, where you have this impulse to say the right thing? But ultimately, you realize, oh, oh, there's nothing I can say. So what do I do? I'm just going to say, hey, I'm with you in it. So often we say in our church, when we ask the question, why, God, why? That's so difficult because we almost never get an answer. But if we can ask, where, God, are you in this? God, where are you when Herod is wrecking our world? Where are you when it's dark and I feel alone? The Bible almost always answers that. Behold, I'm with you, always, even to the end. That's how joy and sadness can coexist. And I think that Amy rejoiced so much because of how bad her day was, it made that reversal that much sweeter. And by the end of the story in the Bible and in Pixar's Inside Out, we realize that sadness and joy are actually not rivals. They're partners in that way. And so this is our final big idea. Joy is more fully experienced because sadness is part of our experience. Joy is our response to overwhelming goodness precisely because we know how overwhelmingly broken our world can be. I felt this most acutely 
<clears throat> when we didn't know if we would have children or if we would have healthy children, and routinely, now at 11 and 9 years old, I tell them at least once every week, you are a miracle. Because you just have to go around the block to see what a miracle it is for someone to just be living and breathing. You just have to look around the block to see that the fact that you walked in here with your own two feet and that you have life and breath, just take a look around the block and recognize, oh, wow, what a gift, what a miracle. So joy can't be manufactured, but I think the more you try to recognize it in your journey the next week, the more you try to be a detective of divinity like Elizabeth, and you say, whoa, heaven is here. The Holy Spirit is, is highlighting something. Joy becomes your response. Even though you can't manufacture it, you can be aware of it. And that's the invitation for you. Even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of sadness, is there something that gives you reason to sing? Something that gives you a reason to say, I'm blessed. Because joy is not only possible, it's promised. And so I'll close with this quote from theologian Frederick Beekner. And I have quoted this so many advents because it moves me to tears of joy nearly every time I type it in. He says that joy is home. God created us in joy, and he created us for joy. And in the long run, not all the darkness there is in the world and in ourselves can separate us finally from that joy. Because whatever else it means to say that God created us in his image, I think it means that even when we cannot believe in him, even when we feel most spiritually bankrupt and deserted by him, his mark is deep within us. We have God's joy in our blood. So may we journey on this Advent season holding a light of joy in the midst of sadness and darkness as we walk each step closer and closer to home. Joy is home because Jesus is our home. And we can make our home in him confident that the one who has called us is faithful to complete the good work that he's begun, that we might find in him forgiveness and life and light now and always. Amen and amen. May we follow in the Messiah's footsteps as we proclaim good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, free the prisoner, and comfort those who mourn. For we worship a God who bestows a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is the God who heard the cry of his people. This is the King who comes to us in humility and love. This is the Holy Spirit who fills us with a song of joy we didn't have Sorry, we didn't have to learn to sing, for it was there all along. So may you go out rejoicing, for Jesus is coming soon.